0: Fine by my finances, like find my physical limitations. I'm free at all. But I'm going in there and make sure that nothing are free. One day, I'm to hold on. Sure sure sure. None of those limitations will be able to hold on to me in a moment. This is all that's here. This week is the eye of the last. We're going to be called up in be the Lord forever. I don't know what all the Lord has planned for us when we get there. It really don't matter what we get to me. Well, I know it'll matter when I get there, but until I do, all I want to do is get there. I just want to make heaven to be my home. If you have your Bibles tonight... I'd like to go with me to your memory verses. Psalms chapter 34. And uh, then as we briefly go there, we'll jump over to Proverbs chapter 26 for, for the text for tonight. As so we continue the series that we've been on. Uh, I guess it's about time to bring it to an end. My kids are asking me when it's going to end. So that's their signal. Psalms uh-huh. chapter 34. Verse 12 says, What man is he that desireth life, love of pity days, that he may see good? That man must do this. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking God. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue Pursue and Proverbs chapter 26 Proverbs chapter 26, beginning in verse 20. Why, Solomon writes, where no wood is, there is no wood. There the fire goeth out. So we all are old enough that you lived today, day the only heat you had in your house was the wood burning stove. I didn't think about it except the ones. And when you ran out of wood, you were just cold. Where no wood is, the fire goes out. So where there is no bearer, the strife ceases. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a bearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. And I want to preach a little bit tonight, teach a little bit tonight again. Bad words, bad words. Can we love the Lord together? Lord, we love you. You are so good. Lord, you are such a good God. Lord, there are words in our language sufficient enough to give you the praise that you're worthy of. Lord, we don't have enough breaths in this life to sing enough songs to give you the glory that you deserve. Lord, until you come, and then for eternity, even then, we will praise you. Lord, we will give you glory tonight because you're deserving of all. Lord, we thank you for your beautiful presence that is in this house. Lord, speak to us in your word and forever change us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You may be seated thank you for standing for the word of the Lord. Uh, this series has been all about... Bad words, or or evil speech. And evil speech is negative, or derogatory, or or damaging words that one person says to somebody else. And and we've talked a little bit about why it happens. And I know there are a lot of reasons why it could happen. But some of the most common culprits are that the fact that sometimes we don't have a right understanding of our own self worth. You know, we we don't think very much of ourselves. Uh, so therefore, we've got to destroy somebody else to make ourselves feel better. And sometimes it's because we're using our own standard instead of God's standard. You know, we've decided that, you know, that eventually around, you know, 1900 or so years after Jesus left, he finally made perfection in you. And so now we get to judge the rest of the world. And we get to decide, well, this didn't cut the grass the way I cut it, You didn't do it right because, of course, I did it right. And so we use our standard instead of God's standard. And then sometimes it's simply because we don't understand, nor do we value differences. We think that everybody's supposed to be the same. We think everybody's supposed to do everything the same way, and yet God didn't make us that way at all. And so those things, among other things, that because we're flesh, we're people, cause us at times to be tempted to, and sometimes give in to the temptation, to speak evil Words and now we know that speaking evil things of somebody else doesn't just hurt them, but it also hurts the person that listens to you and it hurts you as well. It will destroy your soul. Man, it will destroy your soul. And so just like the unfortunate soul that we read about the Bible from time to time that got stricken with leprosy, Speaking evil words will affect every aspect of your life. It will damage your relationship with other people, just like leprosy did. It will damage your relationship with God, just like leprosy did. Because that's not how God looks at your brother. The thing that you said that you ought not have said is not something God would have said. And so it damages your relationship with God, but when you're calling your brother or your sister something that God does not fear to call them, God forbid it come out of my, from my lips. And so just like leprosy, it will affect every part of you're your liar. life. So it's time we stop being the accuser of our mother. There, there's somebody doing that already. And unfortunately, he's pretty good at it, and we just need to leave it to the devil to do that until the Lord comes and puts him in his place. But until that time, we need to be willing to defend our brother. And not just in the face of somebody else. You know, you might be one of those people that, you know, they kind of enjoy a fight. Yeah, I I, I, I don't like a fight. I can't even really recall recall every visit, but I don't even like I don't like comedy like, at all. I just I don't like it. I avoid it playing, <laughs> so when when so I board, like a plague. Even when I shouldn't avoid it like to play at times. I just don't like it. But some people do. Some people just get all riled up about it. We're not just talking about the fact that I'm gonna stand up and oh you said something about my mom, I'm gonna come out there and take it out. That's not what I'm talking about. you got to defend your brother and your sister in your own car
1: when you don't know what's going
0: on and you don't know the reality of the situation, you've got to make up in your mind, I'm going to start thinking good before I think Amen. I'm going to start going to the good place before I go to the bad place. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And not only am I going to give them the benefit of the doubt, but when somebody else comes up into my life talking about my brother or my sister, talking about my neighbor, I'm going to make sure that they know I don't listen to that kind of stuff. That's not what I want in my heart. And I don't believe that about my brother either because we've learned this. If there are enough witnesses to convict them, now, I ain't going to court. What world wants to go to court if you're going to lose? If I'm going to lose, I'm going to Bermuda or something. Why, why go to court if you're going to lose? If there are not enough witnesses to convict according to the word of God, that I don't want to have any business in that court because God's not the author of confusion. Man, I want to make sure that I'm on my brother's side because my my God is on my brother's side. And I don't ever want to speak evil about my brother, my sister, my neighbor, even my enemy. The Bible teaches us that we should say good things to them, that we should bless our enemies instead of cursing them. So so tonight we're, we're still talking about bad words, we're talking about evil speech, but we're going to take this a little bit of a turn. We've been... Kind of really hitting it hard about how you should or should not talk to your brother and your sister. So I'm taking you to the book of Proverbs tonight because I want to ask you this question: What is a tail bearer? What is a tailbearer? bearer? Now I know what most all of us think that it is. We think that it's it's the tale of gossip. You know, we, we think it's the the one that's always at the harvest shop that always seems to know everything about everybody. That there like that. I, I I worked with a man years ago and he retired and he was a few years removed from retirement in his home, barely ever coming back into the building in which I worked. And he always knew more about what was going on in that building with people in it. I, I don't know how many connections he had to find out all this stuff. But if you wanted to know anything, you called him. I mean, he knew what was going on at all times because it just kind of came to him. That, that's what we think about when we when we read the word tailbearer, but there's more to it than just somebody that gossips and somebody that just goes and tells a story that they ought not be telling because what the word means is a murmurer. That's a hard word to say. On. It's a, a murmurer. It's a grumbler. It's Murmury. a slanderer. It's a complainer. Not just the tale of the gospel. Now, we know we don't want any part of strife. And that's what he's talking about there in the scriptures. If you want to get rid of strife, I'm to tell you how to get rid of it. You've got to take the wood off the fire. We don't, we don't want to have any part with strife because God's never pleased with strife. He's not in the middle of all that stuff. And if God's not in the middle of something, I sure don't want to do it because I'm looking where God is. And so I don't want to have anything to do with strife. And so the Word of God tells us that we can get rid of the contention. We can get rid of the strife. We can put it in to the to the to the, the fire that's burning if we can get the tail bearer out of it. If you take the wood out of the fire, it dies. Some of you have a fireplace in a hole. I have gas logs now, but at the last house that I lived at, we had a big wood-burning fireplace. And you know, about forty-five minutes before bedtime, you stop feeding the wood because you needed it to die down, go out because you weren't gonna stay up all night and watch it and you do not burn the house to burn down. So You stop giving it wood. And that's what, that's the analogy that King Solomon is is giving us here. He said, if you'll get rid of the tailbearer, if you'll take the the murmurer and the grumbler and the slanderer out of the situation, the strife goes away. And when the strife goes away, what do we have? We have peace. You know, what we're supposed to be seeking? we're supposed to be pursuing? We're supposed to to be seeking after peace. Well, if I want peace, peace and the tailbearer don't mix. And so I've got to make sure that I get that out and not just that living human being out of my presence, but God forbid that it's actually me. I don't want to be the tailbearer either. There's another rendering of the scripture that says, that reads it this way, the words of a querulous man are bruising. They penetrate one's inmost bruising. But here's something very interesting that I found. The 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 reference here, the, the scripture, it is believed that it points to wounds that would come as though you received them in battle. That, that that's what the Hebrew words really are kind of bearing out. As though a battle is being waged and as though you somehow were pierced through in your body because you know somebody got their sword in, in the wrong spot. And and it got through your armor, and it got into your body. That really is the picture that's being painted here. And what's interesting about it is that it is believed to be a reference to the words of the spies that caused death in Israel. What spies? We know what spies. It's the spies that were sent to spy out the promised land. The ones that Moses sent out to go and see what kind of land it was, and who lived there, and whether this thing measured up to what God had said it was going to be. Go and spy out the land and come back. That's what the the, the belief here is that the Scripture is directly referencing that. It's talking about the fact that when they spoke these the evil words that they spoke, that they they pierced through the, the souls of Israel. They pierced through them and wounded them unto death because, of course, we know that, that they all died. All of them say, too, died in the wilderness because they believed the wrong words. They believed the evil report. And so I ask you this question. Where would we find this story? Where is this story in Scripture? Now, would you believe it? Oh, would. would you believe it? It is the very Next chapter. After the chapter where Miriam was stricken with leprosy. The very next chapter. The preceding chapter was an instance of when Miriam and then also Aaron rose up an evil report. They, they, they came and they murmured against Moses. And she was stricken with leprosy, and she had to be taken out of the camp. They had to wait on her. All of the progress of God's people had to come to a halt for seven days. Because of this sin of opening her mouth in a way she shouldn't have opened her mouth. And in the very next chapter, we find it's not one person, and it's not two people, but now we have evil words being spoken by a whole lot of them. Let's go there. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. we I'll read the first three, and then we'll jump down a little bit to save you a little bit of time tonight. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 1, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of God. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. They were, they were decision makers. They were leaders. They were spokespersons. They were important people. They weren't just, you know, who wants to volunteer to go buy out the new land. These were the people that when they got back, they would speak for their families. They would speak for their tribes. And so they went and did that. So if you go down to verse 25, again, for the sake of time, it says, and they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. They had 40 days to survey everything they could get to. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, pay attention to that, we'll come back to that in just a second, unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them, unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. They told him, and said, we came into the land whither thou sittest us, and surely floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. And they came back and said, we you believe this? Look at the size of these never seen anything like this in all my life. I mean, this, this is amazing. It's exactly as you explained it. It's exactly as you said it would be. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. And here's the proof. But it says, nevertheless, the people be strong with the land and the the wall. And very great, and moreover we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it. This is the guy you want to fight in battles for. Let's go now. Let's go lick him. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land in which we have called the search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw with it are of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight." So what, what did these men, not Caleb but not Joshua, but what did the other ones, what are they doing here? Did, did they lie? Was what they said a true? Well, maybe. They, they did say we were like grasshoppers. They I mean, weren't grasshoppers. They're going to We know this exaggerations a figure of speech We know that people do that all the time you know people make statements that, that maybe may on the surface they're not you know, literally true because you mean something else and so we can give them the benefit of the doubt you know it, it's also it kind of looks like maybe they embellished a little bit it didn't seem like they embellished about how great the land was and now all of a sudden they're talking about how, how 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 big they all are well what if that was true what if every man they saw was a giant what if everybody, what if it, you know, what if it were like me, you know, showing up in a town made of NBA basketball players. now I stroll all into the wall for everybody in there seven and a half foot tall. Enough. Maybe five maybe five and a half. I mean, oh my it could happen. But maybe the places that they went, maybe everybody was six inches taller than them. And then they certainly the cities were walled. And they gave an accurate representation of where all the, 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 the enemies were, where the Canaanites were, and the, and, and the Hittites, and, and everybody that was in the land. They came back and gave the report. So, what made their report so evil? What made it so wicked? Now, let's think about this for a second. They're standing right in front of the promise of God. This is what they've been looking for, this is what they've been waiting on, this is what they've been dreaming of. They're How big the house I'm going to get is going to be. It's going to have three rooms. It's going to have the nicest kitchen that I've ever seen. It's going to have everything in it exactly like I want it. And in the end, they're thinking, man, it's going to be the greenest grass. It's going to produce the biggest grapes in the vineyard. Nothing that Egypt had to compare to what we're going to have because Moses has been talking about it forever. It's a wonderful land. They're standing in front of the promise of God. Not only are they standing in front of the land, the promise itself, but they also have within themselves the promise of victory. God's already told them, I've given you the land. It's time to go. Go up. You at least see Caleb holding on to that, saying, hey, God said it's ours. Let's go get it. They can see it. They can touch it. They can taste it. And they have the promise of God that he's going to give them victory. When they come back, they tell about the good, they tell that it's a great land, that it's exactly like it was described to them, but then what do they do? Then they point out negative. Again, maybe they did lie in their embellishment. I don't know because we weren't there. But most of what they said was true, at least. So it's not as if they're just making it all up. But what they've now decided to focus on and what they've now decided to turn their attention to is everything that they see that is bad, everything that they see that is difficult, everything that they see that is hard, and they start pointing out their own defeated perspective of what they saw. What were they doing? They were complaining. I know it's God's promise. I know it's the best land we've ever seen. But this is going to be hard. You know, it's like when you decided you were going to play the piano. And two days after reading the book and taking a lesson, you're not playing the piano. You decided you were going to ride a bike. It looked so easy. Everybody else did it. My three brothers and sisters did it. I'm going to go out there and do it. And two bruised knees and a busted elbow later, you're thinking, I don't want to ride a bike. I guess I'm just because it's hard. It's difficult. Some people are going to die. All this what happen is in battles. battle. This is not going to be a walk in the park. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And they turned that into an impossibility. They were standing in front of God's promised land and they were standing there having been spoken to by the man of God that said the Lord said it's time to go he's already given you the victory the cities belong to you, the fields belong to you, the mountains belong to you just go and conquer and I'll be with you and no army, no people will be able to stand before you they had all of that good in their possession and the only thing they could talk about the man, the giants, the height of the walls, and the thickness of the walls, and the difficulty of getting here, and the difficulty of accomplishing this. They were complaining about what God had put in front of them. Go with me to the book of 1 Peter. I want you to see, before we get over there to Peter, I know you turn it there, look at what took place in just a few short verses. This, it was like a plague. Because these men took it upon themselves that instead of coming back and saying, Moses, we need to talk. I, I need you to make me feel better about this. You have done that before. at am and office. I, we need to talk. I'm not feeling good about this. assignment. is so Tell me how it is you can have the right now. Whatever it is. That's not what they did said they came to Moses came to Aaron, Joshua and to all the people. So as they're holding in on all these things that they think are terrible, it's falling upon the ears of everybody. And it's spreading He has never promised that his promise would come without pain and hurt and suffering in this world. So, when we take the time to stop talking about what God has promised and how good God is, and we start talking about how unpleasant everything is, then what are we doing? Complain. What happens to the words? the complainer We go down to the innermost parts of who we are. They destroy us. If you don't believe me, I wouldn't encourage you to do this experiment, but maybe some of us have unwilling to know this experiment before. But if you don't believe me, just start complaining about something. Just start complaining about the car you drive. We've all, all had bad cars somewhere our along the way, right? Just start complaining about the car that you drive. And then, in just a little while, at the job that you've got isn't good either. You complain about that job long enough, and then all of a sudden the kids that you're raising, they're not turned out the way they're supposed to be turned out either. you don't laughing too much at that. You complain enough about your children, and then all of a sudden that marriage that you got yourself engaged into. And we don't do it for you like it was. to. And then before it's done, yeah, but, uh, who are you really mad at? You're mad at God. Because it must be his fault, right? Doesn't he have all the power to fix all these things? Doesn't he have the power to Take away my disease and, and put money in my bank account and, and make my marriage work without me trying and, and make my kids mine without me doing what the Word of God says to raise them and, and you know can't God just you know he's he's God he's a God. know, God gave us His land. I've come to tell you that until the devil gets thrown into the lake of fire, he's not letting up on you.
1: He may not have the time
0: and the resources to mess with you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, but whenever he comes down your street, he's knocking on your door. This world is not just going to wake up one day and realize, hey, we really should love the people of God. We should start listening to all that preaching. It tells yeah, us that the way we live is wicked and ungodly and we should just turn from our wicked ways. It ain't happening. I know it happens to individuals. I know there's revivals. I know there's harvest. But the fact of the matter is, the Word for plagues. evil men are going to last worse and worse and worse. Until the Lord takes us home, our environment is going to get more and more difficult until the last day. Right. But that doesn't change. Where we're headed. It doesn't change the promises of God. It doesn't matter. If cancer destroys my body in a weekend. I still have hope in God. That when I take my last breath. I'm going to wake up. And my eyes are going to go home this So God. Forbid. God forbid. The only thing I have to say. Is pointing out the evil things, right, the bad things that are around it. We'll be back to the Book of Numbers, Chapter Eleven, because they were doing this. So I want you to see what happens when we. Numbers chapter eleven verse one says, "And when the people complain, i have to do a whole lot of Hebrew digging out there. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them. There's the fire again, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp." And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. He called the name of the place to bear off because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Here's what the controversy was about. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusty. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all. Maybe they'd have been alright if they'd have had a period there but then that would have been a lie. Because they had to tell the truth. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. See, their soul was not dry. They were not starving. death. They were not dying where they stood. They were eating food that came to heaven. Every morning, miraculously, it appeared on the ground. And they would go and they would gather it up and they would eat it. The Bible says they would boil it, and they would bake it, and they would roll it out and do everything under the sun. They wanted to do with it, and it was good no matter what they did with it. And on the sixth day, they could gather up the stuff, and it would last for two days, all the way through the Sabbath, because the Lord said, don't go out there on the Sabbath and look for it, because it's not coming. It was miraculous. They were in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the desert where hardly anything grew. And yet, miraculously, food showed up for them every day. And not only that, but we also read that they would go to places where there was no water, and God made water burst out of a rock. Yeah. And yet the words are, there's nothing at all beside this man. God had never left them, never forsaken them. And never let them down in any degree. They just chose to complain about what God had. For, about what God had. For. What truly is the essence of complaining? What really is the, the real root of being a murmurer or a grumbler? It is evil speech against God. We've been talking all about our brother. And i understand if we offend our brother. We can offend God as well. But when we begin complaining about the things that we have in life, we are complaining against God. Because after all, he is all-powerful. He does have all wisdom. He does have all authority. He does have a cattle in a thousand hills. So if he saw fit and chose that we should live in the mansion, and we should drive a Cadillac. And we should eat steak every night. He could certainly make that happen if he wanted it to happen. But for some reason, most of the time, he doesn't bother telling us why. He has put us in our circumstances that we're in right now. And he knows exactly what we need. And he knows exactly where we are. And if we put our faith and our trust in him, he will never, ever forsake us. Amen. So, in reality, we don't have anything to complain about. Some more background on, on these people, these people that were, that this mixed multitude. Some study that I did said that the description here is that they sat in their tents. And they spoke words to each other about this. That they sat down and they began to, Pretend like they were empathizing with somebody else's plight. Well, oh, you, you don't like the man either? I never did like it. It really is terrible, isn't it? Oh, I know, I know. It was all exciting up front when first got it, but I'm really, I really, I just don't like the taste of fresh oil. I just, I, I'm sick of wafers and honey. I, I just like a snake. They sat down amongst each other. And even those that did start out complaining got into the act with them. We've all been in those conversations before. You showed up with the conversation in a good mood. And you left thinking the world was coming to you. Because the only thing the voices that were in that meeting ever had to say were evil things about their circumstances. Complaining is contagious spreads like wildfire, it's like wood to a fire. And just like destroying your brother's reputation is evil, blaming destroys God's oh God. reputation. Oh God. oh God. no, anybody's evil, because a child of God made their life Let's be honest, we we've all been we've all made mistakes. mistake, talk about these things. It, it's a constant struggle to not say the ball. Right. I'm not gonna be able to do that. I got a degree please. I understand. God forbid that I ever get to glory and find out that somebody is gonna rot in hell for eternity. Because the picture they have of serving God was no different than the picture they saw in the mirror. God forbid somebody not want to come to my church because the only thing they ever hear about my church is how I don't like the music and I don't like the cues and I don't like the air conditioning and I don't like the color on the walls and I don't like this and I don't like... God forbid! God forbid this world gets something other from me that I serve a great God. God has been good to me. Oh, but Jerry, you're sick. I know, but my God's still a healer. Jerry, you're broke. I know, but God provided for me. Let me tell you about the time I was broke and God showed up and paid the bill. God forbid. I don't have anything to complain about. I know I have. And I know that I may be prone to do it again, but with the help of God, I don't want to. I want to make sure that I don't ever let God think
1: that I don't
0: think He knows exactly what He's doing. Because He knows what I need, He knows what I'm at, He knows what I'm going through, and He'll be there right on time, every time. So wherever He's put me is all right for me. He's uh, still good. He's still king of the universe. Whether my troubles ever get worked out down here or not, in just a little while, I'm going to a place where there is no heartache and there are no tears and there are no unpaid bills and there are no unhealed diseases. My wife and I were talking to friends. friend we were up there in the, of the, of the visitation the other night. She said, you know what I got to thinking about? She said, for so long these last few years, he, kept, he, he couldn't see anything. And it made me sad that those last few years, he really couldn't see the things that were going on around everybody needs to be able to see. She said, but you know, my mood changed when I realized, can you imagine what he's seeing now?
1: Hey, when he drew his last breath, his eyes opened up to wonders
0: that we don't even have the capacity to understand right that. And she said it brought me joy, and it made me happy to realize, because now he's made it to the other side. Come on, church. We don't ever have a reason to hang our head down. We don't ever have a reason to point to God or to anybody else and say, you will me be this, and this will not be this way. My God died on the cross, and he told me that I can be saved, and he's got a mansion prepared for me in glory. That's enough. That's enough. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is where actual Bible doctrine flies in the face of modern thinking. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. At the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. You've got to be kidding me. You mean I'm a servant and I got the Holy Ghost who the Son has set free, is free in me. And you mean I got to go back to work in his house and give him honor? I'm a child of God. Why should I be in that kind of circumstance? He said, if they that have believed masters, let them not despise them because they're brethren. You mean if I'm a servant to my brother? And he ain't got the revelation yet that he needs to set me free? I'm not supposed to hate him because he's my brother. But rather do them service. Because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, and even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, into the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof come an envy and strife and railings and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain. make me happy all day long because my circumstances are favorable. And here comes the apostle writing to Timothy and saying, listen here, me, you make sure they know that if they were a servant on Sunday morning, but they got saved on Sunday night, they were a servant on Monday. Until God sees fit to change their circumstances. They need to accept them And serve God faithfully through him. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That's when you're rich. You're not rich when Jeff Bezos calls you on the phone and says, I'm stepping down and I want you to take my place. You're not rich when Bill Gates says, I've got a few billion, I need to buy somewhere to stick, and I've decided I'm going to stick it in your bank account. You're rich when you can look at any circumstance, whether it's up here or whether it's down here, and say, God is good." You wanna know what made Job a rich man? It wasn't all the wealth that he had. It was when the wealth got taken away and everything was destroyed in his life. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. For as we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can't carry nothing out and having... steps. Fellow, help those women which labour with me in the gospel, with Clement also, with my other fellow labourers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. It means don't worry about things. But in everything, good and bad, the pleasure and the pain. In everything, our prayer and supplication will Thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you both learned and received and heard and seen and be do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, now, last your care me have first in, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Look at what Paul writes: Not that I speak in respect one, for I wonder, He wasn't always there. You and I haven't always been there. Too many complaints have come from these lips that I've whatsoever state I do, they're meant to be content. I know both how to be amazed, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things kind of in struggling, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things to Christ and strength. You see, we read that. And the first thing we think of are the supernatural feats. If God would give me the power, I can leap over the truth. If God would give me the power, I can defeat my enemies. And all of that is true. But He said, I've learned some other things. I've learned that when I'm sick, if God's not healing, I can get through it. I've learned that when I'm hungry and there's no food coming, I can still make it. I've learned that when all of my friends have forsaken me and nobody's on my side, I can still stand with God. I can do all things through Jesus. We have no reason to complain. God's been good to us. God's been good to us. Would you stand to your feet? Would you lift up your hands and do the Lord's praise? He's worthy of our faithfulness. He's worthy of, of our worship. He's worthy of our faithfulness.